You're listening to Rivercast, brought to you by River of Life Church in Gilderlin, New York. Now here's Pastor Sean. Hey, turn your Bibles, if you would, to, to Romans chapter 4. We're going to talk this morning about faith. And uh, the story is told a long, long time ago, not a story, true, true history thing. Long time ago, there was a young man who graduated college. He was a, uh, recently enrolled in law school. And he was a religious man, a man of faith that believed in God and uh, deeply religious. And he, uh, his dad wanted him to become a lawyer, wanted him to kind of go into the family business and take care of the family. And like most 21-year-olds, he wasn't exactly sure what he wanted to do. And anyway, he was enrolled in law school. He was a very studious, good student, all of that. And uh, he was on his way home. Uh, or on his way back to, to the campus, back to school, and he was walking from his, his parents' house, and it was a good good long distance, and a tremendous storm blew in, a, a thunder and lightning storm, electrical storm, and, and he was kind of caught out in the open and didn't really have shelter, so he ran to the nearest tree. It was a big oak tree, and just as he was getting near the tree, lightning struck the tree, and he was so close to it that it knocked him down. It kind of you know, kind of dazed him and phased him, kind of, you know, like, is that, do I smell something? It kind of felt, you know, tingly. He's like, whoa, that was close. Scared him and really kind of stunned him. And in the spur of the moment, he said, God, if I make it through this storm, he said, I will become a monk. And sure enough, he kept his foxhole promise. He lived and managed to get back to campus, and he dropped out of school, much to Dad's chagrin, and went against what Dad wanted. I'm like, what are you doing? And he took a vow of poverty, took a vow of celibacy, and he became a monk. And he was a very sincere man. I mean, he, at the time and the, the, the faith of the day, they saw God as a very austere, kind of a very hard God, a God that's kind of out to get you kind of God, a God that you need to placate, you know, because we're all sinners and we are. And so he was so sincere and trying as a monk, trying to pursue God. I mean, just, I mean, you take that vow of poverty, his only possessions were a bed, you know, a little little table, a little stool, you know, just, I mean, and, and entered into that whole wor- world where before sunrise and past sunset, just all day, you're, you're praying, you're serving, you're just doing doing all of those things, just extreme kind of routines. And he was so sincere in trying to pursue God that when time came for confession, that he would just go through detail after detail about all of his sins, just deeply walking through all of that. And then he'd come back around an hour later, and the, the, he would be like, you know, I've, I've, forgive me, I've sinned. And the guy, the vicar would be it's like, come on, like, go do some real sin and then come back. You know, what are you just like, you're killing me, man. Just every little thing, you're like, wow, he just began driving him crazy crazy. And so the vicar sends him off. He's like, okay, I got to help this guy. And he gives him the Bible and he sends him off to a, to a college to basically become a professor of theology. And he starts studying the Bible really for the first time in his life, which kind of is surprising and sounds weird. Like, how can you be a monk but not really study the Bible? But that's what was going on. And he began studying, and he had just this tremendous burden that God's out there, that he's a sinner, and just couldn't reconcile those two things, and God's out to get him. And then one day, he comes as he's reading and studying the book of Romans. He reads Romans 1.17 that simply says, The just shall live by faith. 
As you know, it's the just or the righteous or the ones that God has declared righteous will live by faith, by faith alone. They will be alive. They are forgiven of their sins and they are reconciled with God by faith alone. And in that moment when the lights kind of turned on for him spiritually, that he realized that his whole approach of trying to make God happy and trying to pursue all of the religious duties and all of the things that he had been doing to make God pleased with him to overcome his sin, that it was simply by trusting in Jesus, surrendering, yielding his life, and by faith trusting him, that was all that was needed. And the burden was just lifted and it was gone and his, his life was changed forever after that. The book of Romans, as we've been talking about, is a whole story, it's a whole unpacking of how God in heaven really reaches down to us. He is a holy God that, to whom we're accountable for our sins, but He's a holy God who says, you can't do anything to fix them, but I can. And what you need to do is to trust me, to have faith. This morning, I want to talk to you about what that faith alone in Jesus means, what that really looks like. Paul is unpacking that for us, and he's sharing with us in the book of Romans chapter 4. So read with me, if you will, these first few verses. We're going to kind of take it chunk by chunk, if you will, because there's some real detail in here. And honestly, when I'm studying and I read through it, I'm like, oh, wow, i got to read that a bunch of the times because just Paul's logic is just so detailed. So we're just going to take a couple of verses at a shot. So here's where he says in verse 13. Here's what Paul says. He says, For the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be heir of the world did not come through the law, but through the righteousness or the justification of faith. Righteousness and justification are the same, same thing. For, it is, for if it is the adherents of the law who are to be the heirs, faith is null and the promise is void. There's so many phrases that we use in the English language today that come out of the Bible. Most people don't realize it, but you know the phrase null and void? Congratulations. Guess where it came from? It was written about 2,000 years ago, and we still use it today. Even people who are atheists follow these things and don't realize it. But anyway, I, I digress on that one. So verse 15, For the law brings wrath, but where there is no law, there is no transgression. Wow, we're jumping in the middle of this, and you're like, God, Sean, I haven't even hardly had my coffee this morning, and you're coming hard at us. I know. So I can only do so much at a time. So here's the deal. Paul has been talking about faith, being saved by faith. We're justified by faith, and he's using Abraham's example. We talked about a little bit that last week, and he's going a little bit further. And he's explaining to us how this faith alone is really what changes our life and what saves us. There's kind of two pathways in the world. You either trust that God does something, or you've got to do all the something yourself. Or you've got to do some of the something yourself. Maybe it's 50-50. You know, God kind of does his part, and i got to do my part. And what Paul is saying is, no, it's faith, and only faith. 100% God, 100% we trust Him, 0% do we rely on ourselves. And he's explaining, and he says, look, he says, by the law is not that. The law only brings wrath, in verse 15. The law can only bring down the hammer. You know, we've, we've talked a little bit about this before, but the, you, you've never gotten a notice in the mail from the president, from the governor, from, uh, you know, the, the head of the troopers or anybody just saying, what a great driver you are. You haven't been arrested this year. You, 
You know, you haven't been pulled over. You haven't been issued a citation. Good job. The, the law never does that for us. The law only tells us you've messed up. You didn't pay your taxes. Here's a fine. The laws tell us when we've been bad, and it kind of brings the hammer down. And, and it's the same way spiritually. The, all of the Old Testament law was there not to be a pathway to get good enough to God. It was actually a pathway to show how bad we are, kind of rather than a stairs to heaven, it was the highway to hell, as the old song goes. And the law is only condemns. And so Paul is like, look, even Abraham is an heir. And it, he, he is justified, he is righteous because of his faith, and we also become heirs with him through faith. Not through the things that we do, but by faith. So the first thing I want us to recognize is that faith alone makes us Abraham's children. Faith alone makes us heirs with him. God made a promise to Abraham way back in the day. He was an older man at the time, and God said, Abram, I'm going to make you a father of many nations. And in you, all the families of the earth are going to be blessed. It was a kind of a cryptic promise that one day God would bring the Savior, Messiah, Jesus. We get the benefit of seeing the end of the story that he was going to come through Abraham's bloodline. And God was telling Abraham not that all the people in the world are going to come through him. That would have been more like an Adam and Eve or a Noah kind of thing. But he was saying, Abraham, through you spiritually... I'm going to make you the father of many people spiritually around this whole world. And now we get the benefit many years later to go back and even after when Jesus was here and the apostles to read and understand this, that because when we trust Jesus as our Lord and Savior, when our faith is in Him alone and not in us, we become a child of Abraham as well. That's kind of cool that Abraham is not just the father of the Jewish people. He's actually the father of all the Christian people too. You see, this is a nation you want to be a part of. Now, some of you are Bills fans, and there's the Bills Mafia, and you're probably glad to be a part of the Bills nation. Some of you are Jets fans. You probably are hoping, if you're a football fan, that you're going to uh, land Aaron Rodgers, right, as a quarterback. Did, did that actually happen? So where's Frank English? I need him in the house. So did that actually happen? That did not happen. You were hoping that happened. So next year, two years, yeah. I don't ever pick on Jets fans. I actually feel sorry. So anyway, for you guys, I didn't even mean that to be funny. I meant to be like for real. <laughs> anyway, I'll get off of that painful topic. We'll move right along. Um, you want to be a part of a particular sports nation, right? But let me tell you, that, and some of you are like, Sean, I don't even know who any of these people are. Just can we move on to something I do get? So bottom line, this is the nation you want to be a part of. You want to be a child of Abraham. Because without being an heir with Abraham, you miss out on heaven. You miss out on eternity. Without being a part of that family, you miss out on everything. That Abraham is a child of God, not because he was Old Testament father of the Jewish Israel nation, it's because he had trusted God. He believed God and God counted it to him as righteousness. Sometimes when people have been raised with different religions or different faiths or, or even maybe different denominations, they struggle. They're like, well, my parents believe this and my grandparents and like my whole heritage has been this our whole life. Like, what? this is different. This is, what are you talking about, Sean? What I'm saying is this, that you and I should care more about our spiritual father being Abraham than our spiritual 
grandparents or our parents or our grandparents or our great-grandparents what their heritage is. Because we know in other areas of life that sometimes they got those things wrong, right? All of us look back and are like, yeah, my parents are good, but they kind of messed up here. You know, sometimes it's big things, sometimes it's little things. But what matters is not where we are in relationship to our blood relatives or our particular culture on this world, in this earth, but where we are in relation to Abraham. And the Bible says that we are his children. We are heirs with him by faith when we put our trust in Jesus Christ. Faith alone makes us a part, a child of Abraham, or makes us of his seed, of his family. Second thing I want you to notice, faith alone brings grace. Look at verse 16. That is why it depends on faith, the soul salvation thing. In order that the promise, what promise? The promise that God said to Abraham, Abraham, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to bless all the nations, peoples through you. (laughs) When they have faith in me through Jesus, that's the promise. I'm going to make you the heir of the world in that sense. It says, that's why it depends on faith. In order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring. If you're not the offspring of Abraham spiritually, you have no, there is no guarantee. There is no promise. You have no hope of heaven. Have no hope of eternity. Have no hope of forgiveness of sin. And not only to the adherent of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is father of us all. We want to share his faith. And it's only through that faith that we receive grace. That's what verse 16 says. The promise may rest on grace. You see, grace only comes to us through faith. Grace never comes to us through work. Grace is you and me receiving a gift from somebody, that which we did not deserve, that which we did not earn, that which just because of who we are, we aren't owed it by anybody else. Sometimes people walk around in this world thinking they are somebody and that the world owes them. None of you, none of us have ever thought that right here. None of us have ever been that foolish. I'm being funny because we all have to a degree. What grace says is none of us deserve anything, but we receive it anyway. We receive it out of the resources, the sacrifice. Wherever grace is given, there's always a sacrifice that has been made. There's always somebody who owns more, has more resources, has more whatever, who says, I'm going to freely give of what I have, who I am, what I uh, have earned myself, and I'm going to give it to you without you having done anything for it. Because when you and I earn it, when you and I do something for it, or we're owed it simply because of who we are, then we take credit for it. And it's not grace. You know, as I've thought a lot more about that lately, grace is a missing commodity in the world around us, is it not? Wouldn't your workplace be a lot better if it functioned on grace more often? Wouldn't that transform things instead of everything just be, you know, what you earn and what you get and what you deserve? We function that way, and there's a part of life that needs to function that way because we'd all be deadbeats, you know. We'd be like, hey, you've you got to take care of me. I don't have to do anything for it. Like, there is a part of life that we should, we should work and earn and take responsibility. But there's a limit to what we can do, and all of us need grace. All of us have messed up. All of us need somebody that we can't accomplish something, somebody else's grace in our life. But you know one place that I think grace shows up a lot and a lot more consistently that we forget? 
It's actually among us. This morning, we are all benefiting from people who have given of themselves and served just so that we can be here. People have salted the parking lot and shoveled sidewalks. They've made coffee. They've cleaned buildings. They're taking care of our kids out back. They've uh, welcomed us and greeted us. They've done all kinds of things. Our worship team has done what they do. So many people every week. And none of us in this room have done a single thing to earn that or deserve that. That's grace. I don't know if you've ever thought about that, but the ministry that we all do is a giving of grace of ourselves, of our resources towards other people. And it really ought to be that way as God's family, right? Because God is the one who gives the most grace of all and He forgives us of our sin. And He has sacrificed everything when He sent His Son Jesus to die on the cross. And when you and I serve others, it is an outgrowth of that grace that God shares with us that we've received by faith and faith alone. And we in turn give that to other people. That we, we ought to, as God's people, function in that realm of grace. That ought to be the currency that we use with others so much. And we do. And ought to be so grateful and say thank you to people along the way. But without faith, there is no grace. There is no forgiveness. So often, we, we want to work our way toward heaven and, and have God deal with the things in our life, but we think that we can get there. And that's the one thing in this world that we can never earn. You can earn a paycheck. You can earn what you want. And then when you kind of get your first real job, as our young adults realize, like, I get that paycheck. Like, how much goes out in taxes? Kind of like, you know, the jaw hits the floor. Like, I thought I was making this. Like, welcome to the adult world with the rest of us. Now you know why people walk around complaining about taxes in New York. But grace operates under a whole different economy. And without our faith, trusting in the other person doing all the work, trusting in their heavy lifting, trusting in what they've done, trusting in what God did through Jesus, there is no grace. It's only what you and I earn. And God will never owe us a thing. We can never be in a spot where we say, well, God, I got here to heaven on my own. You owe it to me. doesn't work that way. Grace only comes through faith. Third thing I want you to notice that faith alone does. Faith alone trusts in the supernatural God. Paul goes on in verse 17, he says, As it's written, I've made you the father of many nations or many peoples in the presence of God in whom he believed. That Abraham just took God, he believed him. Now look how the Bible describes God. He's the God who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. That don't exist. In hope, he, talking about Abraham, believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations, as he had been told, so shall your offspring be. You see, Abraham was an old man. He didn't end up having a child till he was 100 years old. He was convinced that it was an absolute impossibility for him to happen. And God gave him the gift of a child. Be honest with you, I don't want to have a baby when I'm 100 years old, to be really honest with you. That's what grandchildren and I guess great-grandchildren, and do you get to great-great-great, however all that math works out, I don't know. But that's what they're for. You just borrow them for a time and give them back. Let somebody else pay for them. You know, That's the best way to roll with that one. But God gave him that first child. 
When God makes you a promise that you're going to be the father of many nations, of many peoples, and you have no kids, your reality says, this isn't real. But God says, yeah, it is. I'm going to do it. And you're like, well, well when? What, what's going on? When? God says, hold on. I'm going to do it. And Abraham believed. He knew that what God had promised him was a mathematical impossibility, was a humanly impossible thing. Hundred-year-old men do not, you know, father children. Ninety-year-old women do not have babies. Ladies, you're probably glad that if you hit 90, you don't want to have, like, leave that to the young ladies, you know. I don't want to be going down that road either. But he believed in God who could give life to the dead and who could make something out of nothing. You see, he saw himself as not dead. He's not, not literally dead, but far beyond birthing years. And he trusted in the supernatural God who's able to take that, that has, which has no life, that which has lost whatever viability that it has, and to bring it back to life and restore it. He's able to go farther. The God who takes something or takes nothing and makes something out of it. My, my family has gotten into watching a cooking show lately on YouTube. He's like, I think he's like a cowboy cook or something. He's like Chuck Wagon, old school. He's outside and he just kind of makes a mess. He's just kind of a Texan funny character. It's fun anyway. And so they, you know, I'll come home like from, we'll come home from life groups and they've got this guy on. He's making, I don't know, biscuits and gravy and all this stuff. And, you just, and he's just mixing bowls and just everything. It's just kind of funny anyway. But he makes it from scratch, right? It's one thing to, you know, to pull out the pre-made, pre-packaged, throw it in the microwave or the oven. Or even, you know, maybe it's even a little bit harder if you take like the pre-packaged cake mix and kind of mix it up, throw in a couple of eggs. But he makes all of his stuff, I mean, from scratch and all of his special things. God takes creation to a whole nother level. Because all of those people, all of us, take something to make something. I don't care whether you're an engineer, or if you're a biologist, I don't care if you're a mechanic, I don't care what your thing is, but whatever you do for your work and how you make a living or however you run your home, you're always taking something to accomplish something else. Only the God of heaven starts in a vacuum with nothing but himself and says, I'm going to bring something into existence. And I'm going to create truly from scratch. I don't even create from scratch. I create out of absolutely nothing. You see, faith recognizes the supernatural God, that God is a God who does anything that He wants, whenever He wants, anytime He wants, and He has a habit of doing it far later than you think He should or that He could, and He does it just to prove to you how strong and capable He is. That's the whole point. That's why Jesus let Lazarus sit in the grave for three days so that everybody in the world knew that he was dead, dead, dead. And so that nobody could say, well, he just was sick. He just had the flu and was kind of sleeping it off. No, God waited with Abraham till there was no chance of him having any kids before he gave him the miracle birth of Isaac because faith recognizes the supernatural God and the flip side of that, there's always the opposite side of this. It recognizes our failings. Verse 19 goes on and, and says this. It says that he, talking about Abraham, did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead. Why? Because he was so old. 
since he was about a hundred years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's, Sarah's womb. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God. You see, Abraham looked two directions. He said, I see the supernatural God, and I believe he's able to do that. He's the God who can. And I look at me, and I see that I am the man who can't. The God who can, and the one who can't. That's faith. See, faith recognizes your limitations and mine. If you and I think that we can earn our salvation, if we think we can even earn a quarter of a percent to get our way toward heaven, then a piece of that is on us. And the Bible is very clear, folks. It's 100% on God because you and I have nothing. Everything is corrupt and tainted with sin that we have nothing but weakness. All that you and I did for our salvation is to produce the need for God to do it. And that's all. And our part of that equation, if you can think that way, it's a little dangerous to go down that road, but we just receive what God did. We believe. Our faith is in all what He did. And we just accept it. We yield ourselves and accept by faith because we believe in the supernatural God, that He's the one that forgives sins, that He's the one who died on the cross. And it's all based on what He did. When we have genuinely put our faith in Jesus and surrendered our life to Him and we struggle to feel confident in, our, in that salvation, usually what's behind it is we're beginning to put some of our assurance on us and we kind of know we're on thin ice, and we kind of step and we hear that ice crack a little bit. Well, I really sinned. I kind of really messed up. I'm not feeling very safe. Yeah, that's true. But none of that is why God, you're going to heaven. You're going to heaven because of what Jesus did, and nothing changes that because faith trusts in a supernatural God, recognizes our weaknesses and our failings, and does not rely on it one single bit. The fourth thing that faith does, I'm going to jump to my last point in the PowerPoint. I'm flipping my last two points. You don't need to know that, but the person running the slides really does, so I don't mess them up. But the last thing that we need to know is that only faith brings is counted to righteousness on our account. That's why the Bible in verse 22 says this, that is why his faith, Abraham's faith, was counted to him as righteousness. But the words it was counted to him were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. This isn't just for him, it's us. Remember, we're, we're trying to be a part of his family. This is for all of us. We want to be part of his family. Who cares about the most recent generations of faith? I mean, I care, but really what we should care about is where we are in relation to Abraham is what this is saying. It will be counted to us who believe in him, who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. Jesus died on the cross because you and I crossed the line. We trespassed. God put laws in place. He said, do not murder. He said, do not hate. If you hate, that's just as good as murder. Do not commit adultery. If you lust, it's as good as adultery. Do not lie. Do not steal. Honor your father and mother and all the other things that are in there. And every one of us have flopped our big toe and crossed that line. We've trespassed. And because of that, 
Jesus was delivered up. He was crucified for our sins. And it's on account of that is why we can be saved. The only thing, if you will, that we are supposed to respond to that reality is to believe, is to surrender. And when we yield in faith to the Lord Jesus who died on the cross and just trust in Him, then what God does is says, now I count to you. I put on your account nothing but righteousness because I've taken all accounting of your wrong and all that you've ever done and will ever do, and it's been put on Jesus. That's been removed. And in turn, I put on your account nothing but the goodness and righteousness of my Son. And that's why you and I, through faith alone, are forgiven of our sins. Through faith alone are saved. Through faith alone can have a hope in a heaven and a security. Through faith alone can experience a newness of life when all of that burden and all of that guilt and all of that shame is removed. And we are accepted into the family of God. And we experience that salvation here. Now, folks, there's nothing that changes your life more than that. And there's nothing that can deliver you from hell and eternity but that. Nothing. Paul is going through, he is schematically giving us a diagram of just how this whole thing works and is put together. There are, some, there are a couple of verses in the Bible that make it sound like baptism is necessary for salvation. And they're, when you look at those verses, they're kind of cryptic and it's kind of like just a passing little comment. I want to say this. The Bible never contradicts itself. And sometimes, though, when we're trying to understand a passage, it looks like, well, I don't know exactly what that's saying. And we're trying to make it square with the rest of Scripture. That never happens to us in real life, right? You always understand everything that everybody says 100% the first time they say it, right? You've never been misunderstood and you've never, you know, misunderstood anything else that anybody else said, taken out of context or anything. That never happens, right? I'm being facetious. Most of you got it. Some of you are still thinking it through a little bit. But, and sometimes with Scripture, we just have to think a little bit. Oh, that means something a little different. So let me say this. Paul is being so careful, like an engineer, unpacking and exploding the diagram of how this thing looks. It's like we're looking at blue, a mechanical blueprint of this thing. That those little passing comments about baptism are important because they're in Scripture, but they're not trying to explain the details in the, of how salvation works like Paul is. A couple of weeks ago when we had a storm, I had my snowblower, <laughs> our new snowblower that we had, broke. It must have gotten a big rock or ice chunk in it, and all of a sudden, you know, right on like, oh, I don't want to take it to the repair guy or whatever. And so we kind of hopped online. I got the, 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 the manual and see, you know, how everything's together, every nut and bolt. And you guys have, you have looked at these things. It just kind of explodes. I'm like, oh, well, we can take this apart and that apart. And it bent the impeller. The impeller is the part that spins really fast and shoots it out. And something went into it and it was rattling. We could see it. We we're scraping in there. So we looked at that exploded diagram, so we're going to pack it. I thought, well, we might need to replace it. At the end, we just went the cheap way, and we just bent it back into shape and put it back in, and away we go again, right, and save $70, whatever, for a piece of cheap metal. That's what Paul is doing. 
He's giving us the exploded diagram. And be careful that you don't add anything to this pathway of salvation anywhere else in Scripture. Because if it was an important piece, He would have shown it to us in the diagram. All right? For some of you, that's probably challenging you a little bit because you're so used to hearing those other things. But this is it. This is all there is. He's explained to us. It's faith in Jesus who died on the cross and rose again, proving His power over our sin and death. It's surrendering in faith to Him alone. Now, last thing I want to say, I passed by something here. Now I'm going to the point that I just passed by. Thank you, Tom, for hanging with me. How does our faith grow? I could not pass through this without pointing this out. I want you to notice this. Paul gives us some really significant things here. You see, Abraham in verse 19 did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body when he was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God. He never doubted it, even though the years droned on, the months droned on. No matter how many pregnancy tests Sarah took, they were always negative. And no matter what was going on, he never wavered concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what He had promised. Here's the thing. Last week, the Bible, Paul made a big deal just a couple of minutes ago, but it was a week for us. Abraham believed God before he was circumcised. In other words, before he was even the father of the Israelite nation, he was a child of God first. And God promised to make him a father of many nations. And God made that promise clear. But God delayed, and He 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 delayed, delayed, till it was an absolute impossibility. Waited till He was 100 years old. Abraham in the middle of there got circumcised. And the Israelite nation got jump-started. But what was God doing in that time? God was growing him in his faith. You see, there was a seed of faith at the beginning that was counted to him as righteousness, and he became a child of God. But God was intentionally growing that seed, maturing that seed, and growing his faith. Here's what that means for you and for me. Faith really starts when you and I surrender our life to Jesus and say, God, I realize that I'm a sinner and that I've been trying to save myself and I can't. And I trust Jesus. I receive what He did on the cross by faith. I trust Him alone. Not being religious, not coming from my family, not anything in the past. That's when the seed of faith is planted in your heart and in mine. But what God is wanting to do, God is a faith farmer, if you will. God is wanting your faith to grow. That's not the end of faith. That's not the beginning and end of faith. That is just the very beginning. And He wants our faith to grow in life. And what we need to realize is, is God grows our faith through pain through trial, through promises out of hungers of our heart that we want. And He's saying to us, do you trust Me? There's not a day that goes by in your life that God is not saying to you, do you trust Me? Do you trust Me? Do you trust Me? You see, our whole life is about faith. Just as grace should be the commodity of our lives and of our church and of our expression out of our own faith in Christ, 
God is trying to grow our faith stronger and stronger. You're going through trials and tribulations and difficulties right now because God's trying to grow your faith. He's trying to teach you to trust Him. He's allowing those things to go through your life. Why? Because He wants to be the supernatural God in your life that you see and that you trust. He doesn't want to leave you in beginning faith. He wants to give you finishing faith. The first step of faith that for many of us, when we first finally took that point, that was such a big thing, and it is. It goes from We go from death to life, from guilty to innocent, and now we're forgiven. But in the grand scheme of things, that's small faith. We only need the faith of a little child to experience that. And God says, I want your faith to grow. I want it to mature. I want it to be strengthened. You know, most of us get, as we grow older in life, well, I'm not sure what God has for me. I don't know exactly either, but I do know this. He wants your faith stronger today than it was yesterday. And He's trying to teach you even now. A lot of times He does it with us medically and other things. You know, medical is kind of personal. When it's your own life, it's like it's personal. You know, other stuff going on is hard when you're going through it, but when it's you medically, like that's, those are some big things. God is trying to, Grow us in our faith, folks. So whenever you've got those challenges, whenever you sense like, I thought God was going to do this, you need to look up because the God of heaven is saying, I'm trying to grow your faith right now. The sun's coming out. I'm watering it. But I'm trying to grow your faith because he's a faith farmer. So I don't know what Paul has been speaking into your heart, what God has been speaking into your heart through Paul this morning. Perhaps you've never really taken that step of faith where you've just been relying on trying to be good enough yourself or maybe your parents' faith or your grandparents' faith or your religious experiences. And what God's trying to do is strip all of that from you and to say, look, it's just me. You can't do anything. You have to believe what I've done. And when you and I don't do that, it's kind of like us poking God in the chest and saying, what you did is not good enough. i got to add a little bit to it. I'm not going to take you at your word. That's, by the way, it's how faith grows, is when you and I give glory to God, we don't look at our weaknesses, we look at His ability, and we give Him credit and we worship Him. That strengthens our faith. That's how it grows, through those challenges and our attitude through those challenges. So we have to consciously think about that. And as we do, our faith grows, keeps growing. But some of you maybe need to take that step of faith today, that beginning faith. I urge you to just simply, as we sing this last song, or after the service, if you need to talk with somebody, a pastor or somebody here that you know, we'd be glad to talk with you. But take that step where you say, Jesus, I put my trust in you. Others of us, where's God trying to grow your faith today? What area is He kind of poking into your life a little bit? As parents, it takes real faith. It's one thing for your own life, but then to trust God with your kids and your adult kids, maybe your grandkids. God's speaking to you in the middle of all that saying, do you trust me? Do you trust me? Maybe you're doubting your salvation and you need to get some clarity in that. I'd be glad to help you with that as well. And sometimes... People really just know Jesus, but God's just saying, do you trust me still? Or are you trying to somehow get, take credit and work it out yourself? Because 
Folks, at the end of the day, it's all God and it's not us. But maybe you just need to be growing in your faith. You've kind of taken it for granted. But whatever God's been speaking to your heart, respond to Him today. Pray with me, would you? Father, we thank You for the Lord Jesus. Thank You for His grace and salvation. And Lord, I thank You that Paul is so clearly, so like a schematic giving us such intricate details in this diagram. And Lord, it can be challenging to understand just reading it, but it's so clear when we start unpacking it. Thank you that our hope and our assurance rest in Jesus alone. And that our only response as a part of that condition of that forgiveness is faith, surrendering faith to you. Lord, help each and every one of us to experience that. And Father, I pray that you would grow that in all of us. Forgive us when the trials come and we become weak and frail and we start doubting because we're putting our eyes on what we can do. Help us to give you glory and to focus on you as the God who makes something out of nothing. Help us to grow in our faith, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.